You are now listening to the best of the best, Maverick's Guide to Success. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you're not, welcome back before we get into all the good stuff. And today's awesome interview, I want to remind everyone to take a second out of your day to hit that subscribe button to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. And if you would be so kind to leave a review, five stars for the podcast, maybe not five stars, maybe leave whatever you feel the podcast deserves. We hope it's five stars. That's what we strive for. We always want to be the best of the best. So please take a second to do those things. The next thing I want to remind everyone is we do have the network up and running. That is TBOTB Network, the best of the best network. It's a place where you can get a little more in depth about the topics that we discuss on this show. We plan to have experts in their perspective fields to be the host of their own podcast. So we have Insurance Made Simple with Peter Vitale. That show is up and running. We should have another show up and running in the coming weeks. But be sure to follow TBOTB Network on all social media platforms. That way you can stay up to date when a new episode drops from a podcast that is on the network. Lastly, I want to remind everyone The discussions you hear on this podcast are for informational purposes only. I cannot predict and do not guarantee that you will attain a particular result from the information provided. You should always seek professional assistance before making decisions in connection with the topics discussed. Now that we have all that good stuff out of the way, we have an awesome guest for you today. She is known as the Queen of Aspen, Colorado. So without further ado, let's get right into this week's interview. On today's episode, we have a very, very special guest. It is someone that is a close friend of the family. Her name is Elizabeth Plotke. She is the founder of a very, very prominent restaurant, a famous restaurant in Aspen, Colorado called Campo de Fiori. Some people may call it Campo. Some people may call it Campo, but welcome to the podcast, Liz. Thank you, Maverick. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you on. And you know, it's funny because when I introduce you, I say Elizabeth and I was talking to your fiance. I was, he says, Elizabeth, I've always known you as Liz. So you'll forever be Liz to me. And that's okay. You can always call me Liz. All my old friends and family. Call you Liz? <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. We'll stick with Liz. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your background. So obviously the basis of this show is to talk about the shit that's not taught in school. Okay. You're a female entrepreneur, a female hustler. You have one of the longest standing restaurants in a town that is primarily tourist driven economy, which means that the expectation of the people coming here want high quality food. Yes. So for you to be around is a year 20, 20 going into 28, it'll be 28 in October. So year 28 here, obviously that year itself shows what you have accomplished, what you have created, and it will be here for 128 years. I hope so. It will be. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, where you come from, et cetera. All right. Well, my background, actually, I've worked in restaurants since I was really young. That's when I was in high school, I worked in restaurants, and that's the way I paid my way through college. But my background was advertising with a minor in marketing. I ended up marrying someone who was a chef from Italy. And sort of it got me 
to keep going with the yeah. restaurant business. I was in corporate America out of college. Okay. During that time, I worked for a really great company and was moving really quickly up the ladder mm-hmm. by the time I was 25. And I just thought to myself that I just felt like I was just a piece of a puzzle. And so at that moment, we made a decision to sort of change our life and have a different quality of life. Like you've spent time in Aspen. Aspen is a place I feel unique in the world in terms of its, what it offers is an anomaly in terms of it's this laid back, beautiful life, but with tons of sophistication. Tons of wealth too. Wealth. I don't know if there's anywhere in the world that has this level of wealth, but there's sophistication, there's culture, there's intellect. You have a conversation with someone, they've had such an interesting life, but people move here for a certain quality of life. Mm -hmm. So ultimately getting off that corporate wheel and moving here and living that kind of quality of life was a choice that was the best choice. The idea was to come here for a year. I actually moved here with $200 wow. when I was 25 years old. Wow, that's amazing. I know. That is crazy. And so when you came here and you say, I was only going to be here for a year. So you thought you were only going to be in Aspen for a year. This was a temporary, and you 100%. were working at a restaurant? I quit my career okay. in the corporate world. And I came here and I waited tables at a restaurant that was it had just opened, okay. but it became the most successful restaurant in Aspen. There used to be a line out the door before they opened. Okay, And within... A year and a half, this isn't going to sound like so much money, but we had had debt from some old hospital bills of a family member, Mm -hmm. paid it all off and saved within a year and a half, almost $50,000. Yeah. Which, you know, this is 28 years ago. And living in Aspen to save that kind of money too. It's not an easy thing to do. It wasn't. Not an easy thing to do. So how did you decide? And I know you co-founded the restaurant with your ex-husband, but how did you guys figure, okay, we have enough money now. We want to open a restaurant. How did that whole thing work out? So what happened with that is we're supposed to take a trip to Tuscany. There ended up being this little space that actually had sat empty for two years. We saw it. And at the time it was 800 square feet. And we said, "Uh uh-uh, let's skip going to Tuscany. Let's open a restaurant. And it was the coolest, biggest labor of love. Like we did it. I remember... He stopped working in the restaurant, but I kept working in the restaurant. So all day we'd work building the restaurant. And at night I'd go to wait tables at the restaurant. Every single thing we did, like living in this town is the coolest thing ever. It's such a community, but everyone sort of helped us. Our friend who was a contractor helped build the floors. Another friend helped come in and jackhammer the floors with us. My friend James, who's an artist, came in. He charged me $1,000. He painted the restaurant from ceiling to floor. You know, my sister and I found these inexpensive tiles and built every table. We'd sit on the floor and listen to this band called the Counting Crows that was popular back then and just like hand build every single table. I went to a quarry for $300. I found this cool chocolate rock and brought it in and built all the counters. So it was literally... By hand, hand built by you. Hand built. I went to not junkyards, but like thrift stores and found cool yeah. decorative bottles. So it was just like an infusion of love and creativity to build this space. Yeah, no, I imagine it. And you know what's crazy? I want to bring up to get a little sidetracked. But for all of you listeners out there, when Liz was building this restaurant, you heard her talk about how much the communities supported her. Something I read the other day was how 
The most supportive people nowadays are random people. It's not people you know. It's random people that love what you have, love what you can make, love what you produce, etc. And we need to get back to the way where people supported people, friends supported friends. In today's world, I can't tell you the amount of people that I used to consider friends. Um, and then when I would have you know certain startup businesses that I wanted them to post, and I would say, hey, can you post this? It's like you're pulling teeth asking them to post something. Yeah. But then you see, you know, they're wishing Kylie Jenner happy birthday online. They're posting things of that nature online. So they won't take the two seconds. So that's something that I wanted to pull out of what you just said, because it's very important that People do help other people build because at the end of the day, it's going to make everything better overall. It's going to make the community better. It's going to make the workspace better. There's going to be awesome food in town now for this example, but things of that nature. So you built the restaurant. It was 800 square feet. How many people could you sit inside that restaurant at that time? So it was 800 feet. 300 of it was kitchen. So it was a 500 square foot dining room, no bathroom. I used to send people upstairs. We squeezed it so tight that there was just inches between the yeah. tables, but maybe 40 people inside the okay. restaurant. And now today, what? how many people? More than 100 people yeah. in the dining room. And that's the same space, right? It's the same space, but we pushed out the, you know, the first three tables when you walk in. Yeah. That was the new space. And then we expanded and did a bathroom and a bar and okay. then expanded the bar and then expanded to the community room. So yes, it's the same space that we just kept growing over Amazing. the years. Yeah. Amazing. And so obviously you heard me refer to her ex-husband, which it is. So now you fully own, because there were a few, you guys had a few different locations, right? We did. So we where did. were the other locations? We had a restaurant in Vail that was very successful for 21 years. And we had a location in Denver okay. that we kept for 10 years. And when the economy crashed in 2008, 2009, yeah. we decided to let that go. And how long was the first restaurant open before you opened the next one? Three years. So was it a, just a complete hit in the town? Everyone loved coming there? It was. I remember when we opened, and this is the thing with community, I remember we had no space and we opened and got like 32 bouquets of flowers from people in town. I didn't even know where to put them. And there was a line out the door of the locals. And then we got very lucky because we got a lot of cool press. Like we ended up getting featured in Esquire that year as one of the best new restaurants in the country. Wow. And Wine Spectator featured us. And I remember it was so cool. People would travel and say, oh, well, I'm trying all the best restaurants in the country. So I flew here to try wow, your restaurant. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. That from being a waitress to yes. having one of the best restaurants in the country. That's a major it accomplishment. Was, it was very cool. So now your ex-husband, like I said, and now you had Vail too, right? At a time or was that? I did. And I lost that restaurant to very unfortunate circumstances. Yeah, I remember that. It was, yeah. But I it was very, that. very, very successful. Yeah. Yeah. And so now it's just the one. Just, just the one. Just the original. Yes. Going back to the roots. Yes. Okay. So but now. crushing it. Like yeah. it's never crushed it before. Yeah. And I'm so happy for you because you. you deserve it. You're Thank the hardest. You. I love, I said when we had dinner the other night, you know, you were telling me to have your fiance on, which I probably will bring him on here. He had a very <laughs> cool past and his work experience and work life, but. He's awesome. It's awesome to have a female entrepreneur, a female hustler on the show because for all of you that don't understand and have never been to Aspen, it's very hard to explain the culture and what it's like when your boots are on the ground, no pun intended. When you land in Aspen, from the second you land, even if you don't stay at the nicest hotel, the customer service, the experience that you're going to have is nothing less than amazing. So 
to put it into perspective for all of you, this is like having the number one restaurant in Los Angeles in a very small community that doesn't have that many people at all and it's just really tourism and staying open for 28 years, it's tremendous. I mean, hats off to you for Thank you. creating and building something like that. And it does go to show because the people that are coming to Aspen, I would say the majority of them are high net worth individuals with their family and they expect the service and the food to be nothing less than five stars. That's just the expectation. Yes. So I say that for all the listeners to understand how important it is that you've made it through all those years because obviously you have repeat people coming back. You have people telling their friends, hey, you got to try this. You've had some cool events going on there. Like your restaurant is the place to be in Aspen. Thank you. Whenever you talk to someone from around the world and I tell them, oh, you know, one of our close family friends, she owns Campo. They're like, oh, wow, really? You know, I love it there. <laughs> when I told you, one of my best friends, his family got a house here and he, they get carry out all the time. They eat there all the time. And it's just one of those spots in Aspen. That's the OG spot that everyone loves. Now we got that out of the way. What is your favorite thing about owning a restaurant? God, there's so many things. I would say at this point, because we've been around so long, it's the culture of the restaurant. I feel like, first, if you're going to be in this business, you love to take care of people, number one. So like getting to participate in people's best moments of their lives or even sad moments is such a gift. But at this point, I feel like we are such a family. Like we mm -hmm. love each other so much. There's this rhythm between us yeah. and there's people who've been, you know, running things forever that are beyond instrumental, like Dave. Yeah. I was going to bring him up. I was going to say, you got to shout like out your man. Dave runs the restaurant, Dave Ellswick. He's been there for more than 20 years. He is brilliant. He was the valedictorian of his college, got accepted to Harvard Medical School, was there and thought, I want a different life. Traveled around the world, has wow. traveled everywhere. He's managed to create on his own by living in basically integrity with who he is as a human being. He's one of the owners of Starbucks in town. He has a oh, third wow. of it. He invests in the stock market. He's brilliant. He has this way of making everyone he talks to feel special through being in alignment with what his passion is and living the life he wants. He's created wealth, total joy. It's amazing. Uh, Giuseppe, who's the chef, Giuseppe Garofala, 22 years. He's wow. You know, I just met with him. I love him. I mean, yeah. we're family. Yeah, I could list so many people that have been there more than 20 years at the restaurant. So, But you know what they say, it starts at the top. So it starts with you Thank bringing you. that culture in, taking it down. They see how hard you're working and they want to mimic that. They want to mirror that. They obviously love the restaurant. And that's the cool thing about Aspen is I always say as a young entrepreneur, you're never going to find anyone that cares about your business as much as you do. However... And towns like this, super small, and this is their life too. Yes. It's not like there's more to it. This is their life. This is what they love to do too, yes. or else they wouldn't be here. Yes. And so you're very lucky and you're very fortunate to have that because you have that support system that a lot of business owners may not have because maybe people just come and go and they're there for a little and then they go. But it's very amazing to see what you've built. But it also ties in with the community 
in Aspen and how close-knit everyone is and how caring people are and laid back. I mean, it's a mountain town. Right? Yes. There's some stereotypical things people say about, oh, the ski bum. Yeah, but the ski bum is a genuine guy. Oh, and they're the best. The best. Yeah, they're the best. And that's the type of feel and vibe there is in this town. I think that obviously dining in your restaurant, we talked about it like 11 years I've been here. And I think each time I've came to your restaurant, every single time. You so better for, always. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I always will. And so for the past 11 years that I've been there, how many changes do you make to the menu? Or is it always a different menu? No, at this point, there's so many things that I can't remove from the menu. Like there's times that I'll try to remove things and get in trouble. I would say- Get in I, trouble meaning Like the guests will want, be super yeah. like, how okay. did you remove that yeah, from yeah, the yeah. menu? Okay. Yeah, there's certain dishes I don't feel should be on during the summer, but people get upset if I yeah, take it off. Yeah, they want it on there. Yeah. I would say like right now I was looking at the changes of the menu. There's probably about 15 changes for the summer. So okay. I'd say every season we change probably about 15 dishes, which is significant enough that it's very fresh offerings, yeah. but still stable enough that people come yeah, in yeah. for their favorites. You have the staples on there and then you yes. have the new stuff. And yes. people always want to try the new stuff, especially here. Yeah. Right? Yes. So tell me, what is like when you're picking a winter menu or a summer menu, what goes into something like that? A bunch of different things. I mean, obviously the seasonal ingredients and what's going to grow well that time of year. There's trends that happen with food. I think for me, the biggest part, and I think with Giuseppe and Dave, like all of us travel a lot. I go to markets, I gain inspiration, I talk to chefs. I really spend personally speaking. I know Giuseppe too in Italy. I spend the time like kind of getting into their kitchens, learning things with techniques that gets kind of me driving into what's going into the next menu. Got it. And yeah. what the next season is. Yes. So it's a team effort. It's not it's you a team effort. sitting down and saying, hi, can you make this? Is it ever like, so I know you said you weren't a chef, you were a waitress, your ex-husband was a chef, but yeah. now... Are you good in the kitchen? Yes, I'm really good in the kitchen. Okay. Yeah, right. I, I'm obsessed with food. Like I was obsessed with food even when I was a little girl. I yeah. just didn't know how to cook. Yeah. But I always loved good food. But now, yes, I feel like, yes, it's so my- So if there's a dish that you want to try and bring to your restaurant, are you going to make it or is his name Giuseppe? So Giuseppe. Yeah, so, so what I'll do is I'll like, for example, we were talking about some of the foods today. We'll talk about how it'll be made. He'll make it, but I have to be there- with him. So While we sort of work it. it together. Yes. Got it. As it's being made, but he has to be the one making it so that he can train everyone else in the kitchen. And how many people are in the kitchen? We have probably, I'd say about 15 kitchen employees, but on any given night, there's seven or eight working in the kitchen. And on any given night, how many total employees are um, there working? On a given night yeah. through the restaurant, I'd say 25 employees. And how many are wait staff? I'd say the wait staff, there's about seven or eight waiters, four bartenders, three or four bussers, a couple runners. Got yeah. Got it. So yeah. it's, a, it's a team effort. It's a team. It's total team yeah. effort. Yeah. No. And one thing that I found very fascinating that I definitely want to talk about was the other night or what last night, what am I saying? The other night we were talking and you said, you know, if anyone's rude to our staff and they're treating our team members with disrespect or they're being obnoxious, you just say, all right, see you later. A Have a good day. Percent. We don't care about you here. So when you go to another restaurant and you see that the wait staff maybe isn't as friendly or warming or welcoming as someone in the hospitality industry, maybe they're even a bit rude. How do you handle a situation like that? 
If someone is rude. Yeah. One, say you go to a different restaurant, not even in Aspen, somewhere else in a waitstaff's room, but you're in the hospitality industry. How are you going to react to a waiter or I waitress mean, being me, rude to you? I'm not going to be rude to yeah, them. Of course. I mean, more it's, I just think to myself, probably this restaurant is not going to last if they don't treat their guests well. For us, for example, we're going to treat people with kindness and you want that to be a mutual thing. Yeah. So I think in it's funny because when I first worked in Aspen as a waitress, the whole staff, like it kind of was the philosophy of the restaurant to be really rude to the guests. Wow. But I could not be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're the nicest person ever. We talk about it all the time. Like you are the nicest person. I can never see you being mean. I couldn't be mean. And I remember I made so much money because I had so many regulars that yeah. would wait for me to be their waitress because I took care of them. Yeah. You know? You really and cared. I really cared. Yeah. So I just more feel like, wow, that restaurant is effing up, yeah. allowing people to be rude to their guests. And now let me ask you this question since I have you sitting here because I always find this one interesting. If we go into the restaurant and there's something that's not on the menu, but you might have all the ingredients to make it and someone asks for it. And it's not a hard request. It's a very simple request. Are you going to say, try, you'll try and make it or you guys don't do that? Absolutely, we will. Okay. The only time we won't is, let's say we're just drowning in business yeah. and it is going to throw the kitchen behind. That is the only time we won't. Got but it. for us, it's very important. If yeah. we can accommodate, it's very important for us to do it. Yeah, I always find that bizarre when you'll walk into a restaurant and you know this is always my go-to. If I don't know what I want, I get penne noodles with a little bit of olive oil garlic and some grilled chicken on top. They're like, well, we can't put the grilled chicken on top. Oh my God. Any like, that's like the easiest thing to do. I don't even understand why I, someone wouldn't do that. I know. That. And I'm always like, well, you have the grilled chicken over here and this, and you have the pasta over here. It's not like I'm asking you to like go out of order, you know? So I always wonder that. That's, that's interesting. That's having too much attached. Listen, I just was reading a quote from this one chef like two days ago. There are times people might ask for you to make something that is going to really not necessarily reflect the food mm -hmm. in the best way it can. But if this is truly what someone desires and you can do it, we are in the business of serving. Yeah. So we're going to try and guide them and maybe suggest adding something or not, but we are here to take care of yeah. people. Yeah, no, that's totally cool. And bouncing around, let's talk about the name. Campo, Campo, everyone calls it something different. So go into the original name, how it's supposed to be pronounced, and then we'll talk about how people actually pronounce all it right. and where it, what it means, where it comes from, all that Absolutely. Good stuff. So the real name is Campo de Fiori. What it means, the translation literally is field of flowers. In Italian? In Italian. Okay. And it's spelled with like Roman slang. It would normally be D-I, but it's D-E. Campo dei Fiori is a famous square in Rome. So this started off as a Roman concept, but I just love the meaning, field yeah. of flowers. So yeah. even when we first built it and James painted it, there were sunflowers painted all over the walls and all over the floors. So it was more just an ethereal yeah. thing to me and an earthy thing to me, but it's named after a famous square in Rome. Okay, got it. And so now people you hear say Campo, they say Campo. Yes. What do you think is the one people are going with most Campo. nowadays. Campo. I even sometimes call it that. I'm you like, do? How, did, how do I do that? Yeah, you call it that? Sometimes because it's just what so many people call it. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, listen, when I talk to people, I guess I always try and think about, right? Because it's, 
not see it takes me always a second to think is it campo is it compo but it's compo and then i'll see like what they say you know and i always i never say anything to the person that says anything but it's always funny to hear so do they usually say campo yeah, yeah. everyone usually says that's, campo. that's how i think people Every, think of it <laughs> everyone always says campo yeah <laughs> um so you're the second longest standing restaurant in Aspen? Yes, yes. What's the first? Cash Cash. And what type of food is that? Why? It's supposed to be sort of like a French brasserie style bistro. And how many years have they? I think they opened probably six to eight years before us. So okay. they're a really old restaurant. Yeah, a decent restaurant. amount of Very, yeah. time before yeah. that. Interesting. But nonetheless, still, what and what was the one behind you? Do you know? I don't know. Maybe Matsuhisa. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. And for all of you that don't know, that's explain. That's Nobu. Yeah. Nobu Matsuhisa. Is his name. So his this name. is just one of his, his yes, restaurants. Yes. that's not called Nobu. Yes, exactly. Uh, just a different feel. And of course, something I want to talk about is how COVID impacted you as a restaurant owner, how you survived COVID because coming to Aspen for 11 years, I've seen this trip this is my first trip back. I was here seven days before the world shut down before. Wow. And I remember. You know, there's so many places that just aren't here anymore. I know. You know. The lights are off. The sign's still there, but there's no one there. So how did Here you, in Aspen, you're here, saying? I mean, all over too, but yeah. specifically, yes, I'm talking here in Aspen. Yes. How did you pivot with COVID? What did you guys do differently to survive in that industry? Because like I said before to all of you that don't understand Aspen, it's a very small, you know, mountain town that if there's no tourism, the city is... You, you'll probably be driving on some streets where there's no other cars. Right. Right. So how did you survive? What did you do to pivot and survive during COVID? It was interesting to see like when the messaging was so bad for restaurants that we were going to all go out of business. I knew I would never in a million years allow it. And that's when you say, whoa, I've experienced, like, I really know this business and I know how to expand and contract as need be. So Dave, Giuseppe, myself, June, Chris, like just people who've been with us forever. We knew that if it was going to be Dave and I just working the floor and Giuseppe with Rodrigo, who's the sous chef in the kitchen, we would shrink as we needed to or expand as we needed to. We shrunk our menu down. Was there a point here where, because it was in Michigan, where you couldn't go into the restaurant, it was carry out only or you could do something outside? When they first closed us down, we were just closed. And you wow. could have done carry out, but we were closed. Yeah. Restaurants run a very low margin. A successful restaurant runs a 10% margin. It used to be more like 15 or 20%, but there's labor costs. Like the costs have gotten very high yeah, for restaurants. skyrocketing. Exactly. And the average restaurant makes about 5%. So it's a very low margin. So to stay open would have been hemorrhaging more. And it wasn't just that. It was regrouping to see how we'd make it happen. Yeah. So I remember before even PPP, I worked on refinancing my house. They would not do it because they said we will not refinance for a restaurant. Yeah. So it was like thinking of how we could do it. And so it was, you know, carry out when we reopen. We had less seating. We started doing catering where we would do stock people's fridges. If they were coming into town, we prepare all these meals for them Amazing. and like stock their fridge so it was ready, drop off caterings of family style. It was basically hitting it from every direction to make sure that yeah. we can keep people working, money was coming in. But I'll tell you what was really interesting in Aspen is that a lot of people left the cities People who had second homes here moved here full time. Yeah. And then our market went crazy. And 
a lot of people moved here. So yeah. What'd you say? This was the busiest winter you've ever had, right? This is the busiest winter we ever had. Wow. Like significantly. Wow. I don't even know how it yeah. could be busier because it- Well, I think a lot of people are sick of sitting inside. I think so too. I think that's what happened. A lot of people were sick of sitting inside or like me, I was didn't want to live in Michigan. I moved to Florida. Yeah. And at least here, even though some restrictions were harsher than other states, I'll put it, you still had the whole outdoors to explore. Yes. Which I think was a big draw to bring a lot of people here. Yes. So like the same reason we went to Florida. It's 100%. Was, you could be outside here. You can go. Did they close on the skiing during COVID at all? Yeah. So they closed the skiing early. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I remember at the first thinking this was nothing and yeah. having events at the restaurant like till like two days before we had to close. And then Governor Polis yeah. announced that the ski industry was going to have to close. This was probably five weeks before we would normally close. Okay. I, I feel like we closed like around May 14th. And normally we would close around April 17th. And then when do you open back up? Because you close for a little bit between winter and Normally summer, right? we will close middle of April and reopen Memorial Weekend. Okay. Yeah. Got it. It's crazy what COVID did. So obviously one thing I talk about always on the show is pivoting as an entrepreneur and being Key. able to adapt to change. Yes. And that's clearly shows why you're one of the restaurants yes. that's not only been here for the longest time, was able to survive. Yes over COVID. It's really good to know what your vision is. Like stay true to your vision, yeah. but like let the information come to you and be preemptive in your ability to have that flexibility. And the more experience you have, the bigger that vision looks. In the restaurant industry, it was sometimes day-to-day -day pivoting yeah. and you just have to have that internal flexibility. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. It's something that during COVID, but then look what happened. You would have never guessed it. Never. That, that this would be the busiest season Ever. or that the real estate had gone up crazy no. amounts. You would have never guessed it. Never. You know, so kind of came back to you in a way twofold where it's like, 100%. okay, I pivoted and now we're doing great and we're crushing it. Yes. Thank God. So that's awesome. You deserve that. Thank and you. And what's your favorite dish at your restaurant? I go through different Phases, yeah. I would say probably one of the most delicious dishes at the restaurant is the frutti di mare, the grilled seafood salad. Okay. They just did like a little thing in L and that was the thing that they mentioned. But I feel like um, I love, my favorite thing is probably the, there's a lobster pasta that I think is insane. It's so good, the linguine diabola and our lamb chops. I would say those are my two. I love Colorado lamb. Yeah. And we do with all these fresh herbs. Those are probably my two favorite things. What about this whole like vegan trend? Do you have vegan options or not really? Um, there's probably just one strictly vegan dish, yeah. but there's a lot of vegetarian dishes where they could just do it without the vegan. cheese and it could be vegan. Yeah, no, that's an interesting trend. You see all these restaurants you go to now, they're like some little menu pops up. But here I feel like people are, they know what they can eat. They know what they can eat. Yes. It's interesting. No, it's definitely an interesting thing. So when you say the percentages that restaurants make are smaller than they appear to be. Beyond. So is the majority of profit then coming from alcohol? Is that where you're making up for that a little bit? So like with any business, there's like numbers you want to hit. For example, what you want your rent percentage to be, what you want your yeah. food cost, your cost of good. So yeah, liquor is the most straightforward because there's not a lot of labor involved with it and there's a good margin that's involved with it. So you kind of... That's a good question. Yeah, you kind of get to make... I, that's something I've always wondered because obviously... 
when I say she is the nicest person, she is the nicest person Aww, there is. Yeah, you're literally. You're so nice too. Thank you. I tried. <laughs> I'm, I'm nice to the people I want to be you nice know to. I love yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, I love you too. But something that's always fascinating to me is your perspective on business is a little bit different, right? Yes, you love making a healthy living. You love being well off and all that good stuff and you work hard for it so you deserve it. But there's also the side we talked about the other night at dinner. I'm like, prices are rising. You're like, but I don't really want to raise the price. I don't feel so. Money is not my driving force in in life. Yeah, and I think that's a big perspective for why you've been so successful with what you do because you're truly passionate about the experience, the food, the atmosphere, all the things that make a good restaurant a good restaurant and a great place to be and hang out and feel comfortable. Yes. So as we see this current shift in the rising prices of commodities, especially in your industry, produce, all these things are just skyrocketing. Labor is... Labor, yeah, another huge one. So you feel... Like you don't want to raise your prices. I've been, it's funny. We just were meeting about that again today. I've been so conscious of trying to raise the least, least, least we possibly can. And people will say we need to raise our prices more. I will say. I know. And and Kurt will say, he's like, you're just too low. But I feel like it's so expensive to eat an Aspen at this point. I mean, you guys have been around the last few days. It's so crazy. $34 for a tea. That's insane. I know. That's insane. So for us, like if you come into the restaurant at any given time, our restaurant is full of obviously very wealthy people, but tons of locals. And there are tons of locals who are very wealthy that don't want to spend that kind of money all the time either. I mean, just because you have money doesn't Doesn't, mean you want to spend it all the time. So we want to be the kind of restaurant that people can come as often as they want and have the choice. Like they could go big and spend a flipping fortune on wines and alcohol. They can if they want to. And there are certain dishes that are more costly, though priced well. But I wanted that people can afford to come there, that everyone can afford to come there. Yeah, no, it's, it's just really, I love this town so much. Yeah. It's just important to do things in the right way for this town mm-hmm. and for the people who've been so loyal to us. So I ha- kind of have like a few sayings I say on the show, like little taglines, we'll call it. And one is always lead by example. And it's so important to be a leader in this world. We have too many followers nowadays. I think a lot of it's to do with the internet. That's a whole nother conversation for a I whole different that, episode. Though. When you talk about leadership, again, if you don't understand Aspen, you got to come here at least one time in your life just to understand what we're talking about. But Liz is the queen of Aspen. She's a leader here. Everyone knows Liz. Everyone loves her. And I always say why I want to tie this in is always be a leader and always lead by example. And that is what you're doing. There's a lot of restaurants out here. And don't get me wrong. As an entrepreneur, I get where they're coming from because they're a business. That their end goal is to make money. That's sure. that's what the end goal is. And if the price of their produce is going to go up, then that's going to be on the consumer because it's going to take a hit. And that's going to go because they don't want their profit margins to be hindered by that new price of whatever, beef, lamb, whatever it is we want to talk about, fish. But you're leading by example by saying, hey, we still got to think about the locals. We also have to think about the culture of Aspen too, right? Like we're going to get to a point where is it going to be too expensive that even certain people can't come here that are wealthy and do have money? Can they come visit? Can they not? So I think it's very important because listen, there's people that listen to this podcast all over the world, but I'm sure when this episode goes out and we post it on social media, there will be people that 
listen that live in Aspen that know you that may own other restaurants that see you now oh I want to hear how she is and hear what she talks about about her restaurant so they're going to be listening to this right now and my listeners know me kind of to a certain personal extent I say DM me we have conversations with some of them it's like I'm not frugal with spending money you know I'm in a certain position and and that's a different story as well but it is just getting crazy. It's just getting crazy. And for you to lead by example and not raise your prices, I totally understand where you're coming from. And then also in a sense, it's like, where is it going to get to? Like, where's the next step, right? So yes. like when I come back in two years, is my tea going to be $55? Exactly. You know, like where is it going to go? But you go to your restaurant and you always know that that's a staple, that it's reasonably priced, yes. which is definitely always going to be a big draw. And I think a lot of the restaurants around here, and this is Maverick speaking, this is not Liz speaking, this is Maverick's opinion, are raising their prices because they see how much money is being inflated into the economy, whether that is the PPP, whether that is other things. They're seeing that and they're seeing, okay, well, people have the money to spend, they're coming here, but it's going to get to a certain point where it's going to turn people away from those restaurants, away from those places, and then they're going to come back to you and you're going to say, okay, well, sorry, I still have my regulars, you know, that I've been here and been coming here. So I think it's so important for Whoever it is that's listening right now, <laughs> slow down on the price raising. You know, Liz is a leader. This is a time to follow Liz in that. You know, it's not to say that maybe your vision and your goals are different than Liz's and you are profit driven, which is okay in itself. But don't get too crazy with it because it comes to a point where you're just going to turn people away. Yes. Even if they have it, like you said, even if they have it. Like yes. in Aspen, everyone has it for the most part. Yes. So it's not like people are like going to one place if they have money and going to another place if they don't. Like, pretty much everyone's going everywhere. So I think it's so respectful of you, but also considerate. And it shows how much of a leader you are in your community that you're trying to keep the prices low. You're trying to keep everyone happy and you're trying to keep your quality of food at the top notch like it's always been. So that's off to you once again. You do Thank you do you. a very good job running the restaurant. You know, I like to eat out. I enjoy food. I know. And always going to your place. I actually had altitude sickness. So I literally took one <laughs> sl- little sliver of a meatball Aww. while I was at but I'll be back and we'll we'll have so. another meal soon. But <laughs> you know, it's funny. I always ask like a few certain questions to people and sometimes I've stopped because it's more open discussion now before I would have a list of questions in front of me and run through. Now, obviously, you see I have nothing. It's just you and I talking. Yes. If someone was in college right now and they said, Elizabeth, because they don't know you like I do and they call you Elizabeth, (laughs) what should I do? I want to own a restaurant one day, right? I want to be like you. What should I do today? You know, That is such a good question. And I remember speaking on a panel one time and I was with John Hickenlooper, who at the time had a restaurant and I was with another huge restaurant group. And we were speaking to a a young group of like 300 people. They were so talking statistics and finances and numbers. And then I spoke from my heart because I was much younger at the time. And this is a heart thing. My advice for someone who wants to open a restaurant is know everything. Know the front of the house and the back of the house. It's really important to understand all the aspects of the kitchen, all the aspects of the dining room. Work all those aspects. Mm -hmm. Be willing to start at the bottom to learn those things. Save your money. Be curious. See what's happening. Love food. And I'll tell you, I do feel like I never could open a restaurant for that kind of money now, but it really was the truest infusion of love and passion. And so there was nothing that was going to stop 
us from doing it. Did I ever imagine that level of success? No. Yeah. But if you think of every attention to detail, you think of what is perfection for you. You think of what is going to be the needs of the guest and you anticipate it and you work with that love and devotion and you just literally are so comfortable with just bootstrapping, it will can be so successful. Yeah, it really no. can. Absolutely. And before I ask you the last question of the interview, I will ask you this. Let's shed some light on some other restaurants in Aspen because okay. I'm sure there's some that you love as well. Yes. And so what are those ones that you love? You know, there's so many great restaurants in Aspen. I always go to Matsu. Yeah. I think they do a great job. I do. Um, the Wagyu tacos are so good. They do. Someone who's not from town, there's a couple of restaurants not from local, yeah. but I feel like they've come in and they've gotten the local spirit of how to do things. I feel like Clark's, they're actually out of Austin. I think they do a really good job. Mm -hmm. Betula offers something sophisticated, but I feel like they've dialed it in. I think Bosk, I think Barkley is just a super talented chef. Jill from Alina does a really good job. Meat and cheese for casual is amazing. I would say those are the places yeah. that I go. Well, there you go. Yeah. I wanted to shed some light because like I said, there's definitely going to be people from here that listen and they're going to respect you and then respect your recommendations and hopefully we shed the love on everyone because if you're in Aspen, you're not just here for one night. So totally. they're going to go They're going to go to your restaurant the first night or maybe save it for the last night, best <laughs> for laugh, whatever they're going to do. But the final question I have for you, it's one I ask every single person that comes on the podcast unless they're my age. And because that question is, Liz, what do you wish you knew when you were in your early 20s? I wish I knew how to stress less. I wish I understood that if you face whatever obstacle is in front of you, everything is going to be okay. You have to have courage. You have to know you have the strength to face things. You have to know you're going to get on the other side and things will be okay. And that every obstacle is actually an opportunity. Yeah. That's no, what I would say. That's true. I always say, you know, like it's so important to fail. I always say that. So important to fail. But you got to get back up. That's the other factor. Yes. Some people just fail and then never try again because yes. they're scared. But you got to fail to know where you went wrong yes. so that when you go to do it again, you don't do the same thing again. Yes. And even if you fail again, it's just trial and error, trial and error, and trial and error. And there are so many people who have failed so many times. Richard yeah. Branson yeah. failed so many and became so successful. You're right. You have to be courageous. Yeah. You have to be. No, absolutely. Well, yeah. listen, I love you. I love your restaurant. I, I love, love your you. food. I Aww. love everything about you. I'm very happy for you. Thank she's you. She's newly engaged and she's going to be married soon. So she's <laughs> she's very happy. I actually skied with her fiance all day this morning, which was awesome. He was a great skier. So Aww. shout out to Kurt and also shout out to the Jerome Hotel for letting us record in this yep. beautiful room. They Amazing gave us hotel. a whole vacant room to ourselves. So <laughs> thank you for that. Well, thank you so much for Aww. coming on. You truly are the best of the best. You fit every single checkbox we have on the show. So, so are you. Thank you for I'm coming so on. You. Thank, awesome. you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Liz truly is the queen of Aspen. Aspen is a very small town. Yes, there are a lot of people that come in and out of town as it's a tourist town, but she is known here to be the queen of Aspen. She knows everyone. Everyone loves her. You hear how kind she is. She's just an overall great person. But even more than that, she's a hard worker. She's an entrepreneur. She's a hustler. 
After 27 years in a town, she was able to survive because she's adapted, she's changed, she's stayed up to date with the times, and she has built something that is going to last five lifetimes. This restaurant is a staple in town, and it's so crazy to think about a restaurant that's been around for 27 years. A lot of people say the restaurant industry is one of the hardest industries to start in and to last in. I don't know the percentage of restaurants that fail, but I know it is a very high percentage, and that just goes to show even more why Liz truly is the best of the best. And I wanna thank her for coming on the show. I wanna congratulate her for all her accomplishments. And I hope that you all learned a little bit of something, whether it's about the restaurant industry, whether it's about starting a business from the ground up, whether it was about failure, whether it was about adapting. I hope you all were able to take away something from this interview and put it into your life, your business, your experience, your schooling, whatever it may be. Take the information, absorb it, and then use that information in a positive way to build yourself a path of success. With that all being said, I want to thank everyone for listening to this interview. Again, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast because you can get notified when another episode of your favorite podcast comes out. And what is your favorite podcast? This is the best of the best. Maverick's Guide to Success. Talk to everyone soon.